Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast. I'm Dave Sharp, Marketing Consultant for Architects at VanityProjects.com. Today, I'm joined by Anthony Clark from Bloxus, a small architecture practice based in Melbourne with a specialist focus on working with people with cognitive impairments or issues of sensory perception, such as dementia, autism, Tourette's, sexual trauma, or chronic fatigue. Bloxus began life following the typical trajectory of most firms, growth, bigger projects, and more recognition. But then in 2017, Anthony began a rebranding process and discovered that his most fulfilling projects were related to his passion for psychology and neuroscience. He decided to pivot and focus exclusively on that field of research from then on. And today, Anthony has built a substantial expertise in this niche area of work, and his services are now highly sought after within the communities of people living with these conditions. In this episode, we discussed an intensive rebranding strategy that led Anthony to see his existing projects in a new light, the risks and rewards of becoming a specialist firm, the importance of being disciplined about saying no to work that falls outside your chosen niche, and how Anthony was able to draw on his personal interests in psychology to form a foundation for the new direction of his practice. We also spoke about how vital it was for Anthony to develop rigorous research techniques in order to learn more about these conditions and speak convincingly about his work, as well as the important role that writing, speaking and film plays in expressing the process behind his work and the stories of his clients. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Anthony Clark from Bloxus. So, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for having me. No problem. I, I thought it'd be a good idea to start with maybe you just giving a little bit of a general sort of overview of some of the work that you're doing and the kinds of um, people that you work with at Bloxus. Yeah, well, uh, we, we mostly do, well, pretty much all of our work now is based on uh, cognitive impairments and, and issues of sensory perception. So uh, I'd say 95% of the work we do now is in relation to uh, dementia, autism. Uh, we're doing a lot more now with trauma, so chronic fatigue and uh, you know physical trauma or mental trauma. So all of the work we do now is very specific to uh, individuals living with certain conditions, I'd say, as opposed to uh, what you would consider to be more generic type work. Yeah. And so are there certain types of projects that are more common? Like is a mostly kind of getting interest from clients for sort of residential projects for families or individuals or what's what sort of, uh, aside from research, what sort of um, uh, types of projects are kind of common with amongst that group of people? Yeah, it's, it's changing. I mean, I think it's since we started doing more, uh, you know, and I know we've talked about this, this kind of word specialised, but kind of more specific work it's coming from from different avenues so we have definitely and are definitely doing residential projects whether that's new new houses or sort of alts and ads projects but also uh, you know we're, we're being asked to do installation projects which are kind of um i suppose more information based so whether that you know it's art installation projects but then we're also doing larger scale so we're doing a, a project for uh, children, uh, you know, living with kind of trauma or have been through through sort of traumatic experiences. So it's more of a healthcare scale project. So so bigger, so diverse range of, of project scales, I suppose, um, which is you know super interesting as opposed to just just doing residential work. Yeah, and so when did this kind of work 
begin for you? And was there sort of a turning point where you started going in this direction and focusing on this sort of area of specialty? Yeah, the I mean that's interesting. It's sort of quick background. So so I started Blockus in 2010. Um, very much coming from a, a sort of traditional architecture background of working for practices that I really admired, both within Australia and, and overseas, uh, and started the practice, as I said, in 2010, very much with um, residential work, alts and ads type work, uh, and, you know, the traditional the traditional way of doing small projects, building to bigger projects, doing publications, doing all that sort of stuff, starting to do talks and things, teaching on the side, uh, and you know that was that was really enjoyable for the, especially for the first three or four years, and then around sort of 2016, I was you know the projects were getting bigger, but I wasn't getting more interested in the work, I suppose, um, and so went through a process of speaking to a sort of strategist, um, and that was also linked to sort of branding, and that took a long time. That was that was a year long process, which was really about me, much more about the things that I'm interested in and how the practice then kind of is an extension of that. Uh, and through that process, the thing that came up was the work that really, really interested me that the practice had done was related to this sort of work. So we've done a, the first project we did was for a family with an autistic son. Then we got another project which was linked to that for a, for a guy who um, had a chronic sleep disorder and then it kind of became, ah, this is, you know, this is the sort of work that I'm really interested in. And it kind of fed on from there. Then we started getting more projects and then I started doing more kind of research-focused interest things, although I was already interested in that sort of work, but I hadn't really linked the interest that I had outside of the practice with the work that the practice was doing. And, and they started aligning at that point. So it became a lot, I suppose, you know, so that's 2017, Yep. You know, so six, seven years into a practice is when it started kind of mm-hmm. changing uh, and it's been, you know, like that ever since really. Was there anything in particular about those first couple of projects that you've, what was it that you found so sort of interesting and stimulating and what, and as a departure from the kind of typical projects that you had been doing prior to that? Yeah, I found the, I found the depth of engagement and the honesty and the vulnerability probably, you know, if I was going to put it into kind of, a few words in that the the interest with um, that I had in relation to understanding people more, uh, I, I guess, grew when um, I could link my interest in in psychology and my interest in neuroscience and the things I was doing anyway. And then I would sort of meet these these clients and find that they had an interest in these things based on what they're living with. And so we started being able to have a conversation that was well beyond architecture and it was much more about, uh, you know, the vulnerabilities of saying, actually, I, I live with these these sorts of conditions and this is really important to me. And so the, the conversation became less about, uh, you know, how to create a sunny environment or how to do all the things that we know are good as an architect yeah. and actually became more about, here are the things that I've lost in my life. Here are the things that I need to regain. So the the words that became really critical were things like reliability, independence. And so what that gave me then is a is an ability to use architecture and that as a reference, but then actually kind of explore these much bigger terms 
to drive the project, you know, to kind of as opposed to looking at architecture as a way of finding uh, references, I was able to kind of use much broader text and and then yep. sort of use the contacts that I'd been making in the psychology world and all these sorts of worlds to kind of then say, okay, I can I can apply my skill as an architect to these bigger things. Yeah, and that's where the, I guess everything changed because I'm like, shit, this is like much bigger than the the world that I'd been in before that, which was very much about you know architecture. Yeah. So outside of architecture, what was the kind of personal interest that you had in psychology and neuroscience? Because you mentioned that it connected with these things that you had been doing already, but what, what were those, what were some of those things? Oh, you know, I mean, for me, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's not, um, that unordinary to what a lot of people read, you know, I've been, I've read a lot of Oliver Sacks and I always have loved reading Oliver Sacks. And so, you know, his, his work is very approachable. And then Oliver Sacks turned into Irvin Yalom and, you know, sort of deeper. And the way that they write about, the way that Oliver Sacks and the way that, that people like um, uh, Irvin Yalom and even people like Bessel van der Kolk talk about the people they work with are completely um, different to the way architects, architects speak about their clients. You know, these are, these are people who in order to understand the people they're working with, share themselves. And so it's very much a kind of deeper relationship and then you learn a lot more from each other. And so I guess I take those examples of people that I've been reading and have an interest now in trying to apply that level of communication to the work that I'm doing. And so for me, that changes the dynamic and changes that relationship so much where, you know, you have to give a lot more and, uh, you know, that's where the PhD started and where the kind of deeper research has kind of come in because that's not that easy to do actually. Yeah. So when you felt prior to prior to getting those couple of project opportunities there where you were kind of describing feeling a little bit sort of unfulfilled, is that is that because <laughs> You know, you're expecting as the as you went along that kind of trajectory of success of bigger projects and sort of um, your reputation growing and things. You're thinking, well, that will that will bring you know some satisfaction and some happiness to the work that I'm doing. But do you think that it were you feeling like you weren't personally as personally invested in the work that you were doing as in in retrospect? Is that sort of where you feel that there was maybe that satisfaction might have been lacking in that in that work? I'm just interested in kind of getting do you have any sort of thoughts on on you know what what was it about that work that was kind of not fulfilling you at that point in time? Yeah, I mean I mean, you know, backstory for me is I started working in an architecture firm at 15. So I I didn't do, you know, year 11 and 12. I went straight from year 10 to working in a practice. I've never done anything else. Wow. And so that that has always been my identity, you know, like has been as an architect, 15 years of age, being around. And I think there's a level of burnout that happened, you know, a level yeah. of like oversaturation of working in practices, going overseas, working in practices, working super long hours for a really long period of time and doing nothing else really, you know, in yeah. terms of like it's so linked with my personality and linked with my identity that um, uh, that probably became unhealthy actually, I have, you know, and yeah. um, the idea of, of, following one clear path, which was like do more architecture, build a bigger practice, get more work, projects get bigger, became quite, um, uh, yeah, unhealthy and a little bit too one-dimensional. And Mm. I think 
when this sort of work came up and I found myself walking past the architecture books at a bookshop straight to this, you know, to yeah. to these other things, I realised that that was sparking a completely new interest um, that then I was kind of, it took me a while to realise that I could actually apply architecture to that. And yeah. once that happened, then I was like, you know, shit, okay, this is like, <laughs> this feels like a new a new profession actually. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose that's where, where I kind of knew. I was like, because of the strategy and branding things, because of the the clear interest in another domain, it kind of, um, you know, it, it was pretty clear to me that that shift was right. Uh, but but it also came after a lot of hard work, you know, it's sort of, yeah. and, and being honest with the fact that after 20 odd years or even longer, 20, you know, five years in one direction, changing that and changing your values is incredibly difficult. And I'm still, and I'm still dealing with that now, actually. Yeah. We'll talk Um, more about that, but I'm interested in the, uh, the, the sort of rebranding and strategy process that you went through. So was your, was the person that you're working with like a miracle worker with a special, you know, special recipe, secret sauce method, or was it just going through the process and, taking time to think about it that kind of was that turning point where you realized I can, I can blend this, this personal interest and what I do day to day professionally. Um, was it a sense of someone also giving you permission to do it? Was, was there an element like, uh, it's, it's pretty, okay, you know, you can actually do this. It's, it's all right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, if, I mean, in my opinion, you know, and I don't know what other people have done in my opinion, it was a, uh, hugely difficult, but, but, uh, no, you know, a, a completely rewarding process. You know, it, it, as I said, took over a year of like, you know, a lot of work and not just, not just in the, you know, you've got to come up with a new image and do you change the name and what sort of, you know, there's yeah. all that sort of stuff, but actually, but actually the, how do you, how do you work out kind of what your interest is as a person and how do you then apply that to what you do as a, as a profession is, you know, it requires you to kind of be pretty honest with yourself and kind of go, uh, is this fulfilling? Is this what I want to do? Is this kind of going to make me feel like I've achieved something? And, the, and, and that's hard. That's a really hard process. Um, and you don't, you don't actually know whether it's going to work. You know, that's yep. the other thing is there's not, um, there's no magic yeah, source Definitely, I wouldn't say that you go to someone and go fix this because <laughs> yeah. because that is kind of um, uh, you know the process of psychologically working on yourself. You know, at the same time, you kind of need to be like uh, dealing with some hard truths. I think. Yeah. Um, it's, is there a, is there a tip for for reflecting on what that passion is? Um, I mean, you you had a great sort of image there of walking past the architecture books to the other section. Maybe it's like, what is that section that you're walking past the books to get to, you know? Yeah, there- totally. <laughs> totally. And I think you can become, um, you know, we all, we all know that architecture is uh, an amazing profession, but it, but it is all consuming. It's very, um, it's hard to be kind of just a little bit in. So especially when you're kind of, you know, going through uni and, and it's, you know, you're very wound up in what everyone's doing and you're very aware of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, it's, you realize you, you don't talk about anything else actually. Yeah. And I think, um, 
Uh, and, and that's awesome, you know. I mean, being being entrenched in a profession you love is is of course great, but um, it can also it can also kind of stop you from seeing other things, I suppose. You, when you went sort of through that transition and sort of said, "I'm going in this direction," how sort of exclusive were you at that point in terms of? From this point onwards, I say no to things that fall outside of this range that I'm defining of work that is for me. Or were you a little bit, I'm focusing on this direction, but I'm still going to kind of entertain a wide variety of things that fall outside of it. I mean, what was your level of firmness about those boundaries when you sort of made that pivot in 2017 onwards? Yeah, it was, it was um, you know, rightly or wrongly, it was absolutely a we're probably going to close the door on 90 percent of projects not of projects but of of calls you know of kind of like just the people who would i mean we would get and everybody would have the same we at this point 2017 the office was in north fitzroy then then we moved to fitzroy but we would get clients who would come in and they'd done the rounds they'd been like we've been to this this and this and uh we're speaking to four you're one of the four and it would be pretty much the same group every time. Yeah. Uh, and that's pretty common. You know, everybody is like within, with your small practice and, and you know, you, you're up against the, the great people, the people that you kind of admire. So we knew that by doing this, we would, that would stop, you know, that kind of like, you probably can't then put us in the same category as the people you were because mm. the, the branding looks different. The way that I speak about what we do has changed. And uh, I, yeah, I needed to be okay with that. And that was absolutely an um, intentional process and scary, bloody scary actually, to, yeah. to, to be like, yeah, all of those kind of calls, uh, we're not putting a, a net in the ocean anymore, we're putting a kind of single hook in yeah. was, was pretty scary and has been, but, um, but great. You know, in the end that's, that's worked really well because one of the first after doing that and launching everything and and being completely scared that it wasn't going to work, uh, a project that we have now, you know, this amazing woman wrote this amazingly long letter saying that, um, you know, she loved how we'd been talking about and the openness of the clients that we'd been working with and there was nobody else that she would go to, you know. So it wasn't all of a sudden there isn't like a for people thing, it's just us. Yeah, and and that was good. That that wasn't based on style or or money or anything. It was just based on um, you know me wanting to get ingrained in their and and how they live in the world. That was that yeah. was it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So what it it was quite a good sensible approach to say we're going to have to turn down work that doesn't fit into this niche anymore. Uh, few people take that step. It's it's a scary step, as you mentioned. Why? What was your reasoning behind doing it? I'm just curious um, to kind of get a sense of why you knew that that was important or had to be done. You had to say no to that work that didn't fit. Well, I think in the end, that's the that's the process of going through the, the strategy is it seems like you go through a really deep, understanding of what it is that makes you happy in this profession or what work you want to do and it's all kind of written out and you can see it and then at that point you would say ah but we need to we need to tweak it in order to still keep the door open and to me that was like 
a bit half-hearted um, yeah. and probably wouldn't work. You know, I think in the end um, it had to be, uh, you know, it had to be all or nothing. And um, I was going to say there's this, there's this kind of quote that I've read recently uh, that is kind of my favorite quote at the moment. And it says, I've got to find it now because I've written it. I've written it in lots of spots. And then um, it's half sure and wholehearted. And I think that's kind of how I've been, you know, is that doing research as an architect, doing the PhD, being ingrained in this thing is like, um, you're never sure if it's going to actually work out, but but you, you go for it. You know, you absolutely put all... And, and, you know, that's a, that's a debate and that's the kind of um, other people don't agree with that, that, that you should put all your eggs in one basket. But at the same time, that is kind of the opposite of what I think I've done, actually. You know, we're not saying we are specialists in doing residential, we are specialists in doing schoolwork. It's I have an interest in working with people who have diverse uh, you know, they see the world in different ways. And that can, and, and what, what makes me super passionate is if somebody says, uh, would you be interested in doing some work with um, people living with Tourette's? I'm like, I don't know much about Tourette's. I would love to spend time understanding what Tourette's is and how the built environment works or doesn't work for those people. Um, that to me is kind of a complete open-ended, uh, you know, the outcome is what the outcome is based on an understanding of something that I had no knowledge of before. That, that's very exciting. Yeah, so that must, have, that must have been kind of intimidating at the beginning. I can imagine, and I've been through it myself, I'm marketing for architects, so I get what it's like to pick off a very narrow group of people and go from now on, that's all I say yes yeah. to, so yeah. that's all I go looking for. And at the beginning, that's very scary because you haven't got all the opportunities yet. You only have the one or two little scraps <laughs> yeah. of opportunity yeah. that are in front of you. And you go, wait, so is this all I'm going to do? Just this same type of project for this little tiny group of people forever? Yeah. And But once you get into it, you start to realize that the niche is actually much bigger than it looks from the outside, right? Like there's actually quite a lot of variety of challenges and problems and different issues, even within what seems like a really small segment that you've sort of bitten off for yourself. Is that what you've kind of found as well in your field that once you actually get into it and you embed yourself in it, all of a sudden it starts to open up like a sort of Narnia wardrobe sort of thing. And now there's this entire range of um, possible projects that we could be working on and doing. And, you know, is that, has that been the sort of experience so far? Yeah. I mean, I mean, actually it's kind of uh, by closing the door or, you know, this, this kind of idea or metaphor of closing the door has actually kind of uh, it's just opened up a bigger one, which is like, uh, yeah, we, we, we get someone who might say, I'm living with this, I'm, I'm, you know, this age, living with this condition, which is specific. And then somebody else says, well, I'm this age and I'm living with this and I'm living with this and we want to work out uh, how we can communicate with our, uh, you know, our participants, how to understand, like, like the project, you know, as an example, the dementia installation project that we did, which was uh, very much about how we can reshape um, how people understand or perceive dementia and sound. You know, that, that is a kind of huge um, opportunity to deliver anything, but what it does is kind of, um, you know, put something out in the world that kind of hasn't really been thought about in that way before. And that has then led to, you know, other projects with dementia and, um, 
yeah, yeah, I think it's opened a lot more doors than it's closed, actually. Um, mm. But actually what it does too is just part of my, the interesting thing that's coming up in my PhD research is it's this idea of insider-outsider, which is now that, you know, I've always thought that I am an insider in as uh, as an architect. You know, I'm inside the architecture community. Yeah. But, but as I become more ingrained in these, uh, you know, in the, in the worlds of dementia or autism or chronic fatigue, yep. the boat is kind of steering over there and, and I'm questioning whether I'm becoming more of an insider in that world and an outsider in this, you know, in the past yes. world. And yes. that, that is challenging because that is then like, uh, you know, shit, but I'm an architect. That's yep. what, all I've done. So, uh, of course, I'm an insider in that world, but it's different, you know, it's, it's changing. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and are there many other architects in these other worlds and these other communities? Have you found any company <laughs> or is yeah, or there's, you, I mean, there's a few others? There's a few others. I don't know of anyone who's really, um, I mean, yes, there are, you know, anyone who's probably, um, you know, done the strategy stuff that's kind of quite specific. You know, I yep. think I think we always kind of knew that, even the website and stuff that we have now is actually not, it was always planned that it wouldn't be at its capacity or, or kind of where I really want it to be until five to seven years after starting it. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's going to become a lot more data heavy because one of the things I talk to my clients about is, um, you know, as much kind of um, transparency as possible. So their stories and my, uh, complexities of dealing with their stories are going to all be, you know, they're, they're all going to be, people are going to be able to see them and read them. And that's the kind of interest for me is like not only dealing with these kind of very complicated topics, but then how do you as an architect who isn't trained in this world actually deal with these complexities and deliver a project? Yeah. Uh, you know, they're quite heavy topics at times and studying architecture, you certainly don't learn how to deal with sexual abuse, for example. Yeah. Yeah, um, and 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 even on the, I guess even more superficially on the marketing side, when you have such sensitive projects um, and such sensitive issues and so much privacy and ethics involved, and it must make it quite challenging for you to think about talking about your work publicly in this in the way that you might have done previously because you do want to go into that level of depth and that sort of understanding of the of the particulars of this project and the story of that client but the architecture media is it really set up for that <laughs> is instagram really set up for that it must make it quite um quite challenging if yeah you're you trying to follow that you must uh, have you have you found that you know i guess what if your experience has been with that well, I've definitely found that. I mean, I mean, the, it's it's been a great experience so far because my language has changed. You know, it's had to change, and I think that's important for everybody, not just architects, is to think about the way that they talk about topics, the way they talk about others, and the experience of others. And I think what's interesting, you know, generally, and this is this is changing. Generally, as architects, we are taught to design for everyone, or this kind of like nondescript you know we think uh we understand what moody spaces are we understand what kind of light field galleries are but but of course not everybody experiences these places in this way and so those things um when somebody says well 
you know, for, for example, a project that we're doing, uh, we know that facing a project north and, and great views and, and lots of light. And then you get a client who says, uh, but I can only spend a minute a day in the sun. I can't have any northern glazing. All of a sudden changes everything, you know, changes the way that you speak about projects. And then, uh, yeah, you can't market these projects the same because if they're dealing with sensitive issues, um, they might not want that information out depending on what their relationship with uh, whether they've talked about their condition in the broader environment. And, and, and there's a few examples that that has definitely happened. Yeah. Um, and, of course, some of these projects are very um, sensitive and that is difficult to talk about in mainstream media, you know, and, and I understand it. You know, we've actually had this where I've wanted to talk about a particular issue from a from a project and um, a publication has said that doesn't sell. You know, there's no way people are going to buy that if we if we say that. And so, right. you know, of course, you kind of like you understand it because they understand who their readers are, and uh, you have to sell magazines or books. But yeah. um, that in at my world at the moment is a little bit hard to understand or hard to grapple with because I'm like, well, if we don't talk about it as the people who are, have a strong, um, you know, we are we are kind of at the top of the tier of designing and creating these built environments. Um, yeah. Then who, who who's going to? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, I'm interested in coming back to, I guess, this idea of one project in this area turning into another, turning into another, and as you go with each project that it kind of equips you with new skills that you didn't have before and new sort of areas of knowledge that you could then bring to the next project and the next project, particularly as you started to become familiar with, with autism, with dementia, with each different um, uh, cognitive impairment. How important is repetition when you're developing a specialty or, or, or kind of operating in a niche for you? Or do you have any sort of thoughts on uh, or does he, do you ever encounter sort of a, a sense of deja vu in your work where it's like, oh, I've actually ha- handled a similar situation previously that you find surprising or, you know, um, something that maybe is sort of unanticipated as you go into this area of work? Yeah, there's, there's, there is huge overlaps. I mean, the we've we've always done created a lot of data, you know. So so one of the reasons for doing the PhD, studying the PhD, is because we're doing this stuff anyway. You know, creating mini publications for each project, and so uh, the the stuff that we've been doing and the things that have come up with projects with autism have huge overlaps with dementia some of the um, some of the, the things that play out, but also some of the things we're learning about, those things have come up with the chronic fatigue work, have come up with the um, the trauma work. You know, there, there is there is big overlaps where it's like, oh, that's really interesting actually now that, um, you know, the stuff that we learn out of that project is relevant to this project. So it is a kind of building, 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 building project. And part of the PhD is... Uh, you know, interestingly, when um, the the Soundfield project was done, it was a kind of long-winded background, but, uh, you know, I was seeking to get funding for it and we did some um, crowdfunding, um, source funding, 
Yep. But another part of it was through um, the University of Wollongong. And I remember having having a meeting. I flew up to, to talk about how I could get funding. And the guy who picked me up, who was the guy who was supposedly going to give me funding, the first thing he said to me is, I have absolutely no idea why you're here. And I said, well, I'm here to get money from you. And he said, money for what? And I told them all about the project. And he said, look, I can give you a certain amount of money. But because you're, um, you know, you're an architect designing designing things and you're not giving us data that we don't already have necessarily, if you can do that, if you can actually run this through much more of a kind of technical hmm. data-driven process, the idea of um, getting funding is is exponential then. And part of that is like, okay, it's like I haven't been able to get a seat at the adult table. I'm, I'm at the kind of kid table in this world. And so the reason for doing the PhD is very much to kind of is, is to show a dedication to uh, learning and being more strict about the way that I put together or we put together the kind of data and the things we're understanding and not yeah. just do it in a kind of flippant way. Yeah. So it sounds like this bloke wasn't too big of a fan of, you know, the idea of architect as generalist. Like, so there's this common thing of like, you know, it's a real strength to know a little bit about everything and, you know, not, <laughs> but in, in architecture, but from, from that point of view, was it kind of going, that's great, but that's not particularly helpful in this, in this area where there's very specific issues. Or- I think that, yeah, I think, I think for us, it was like, um, you know, this is not the first time architects have taken topics like this, like dementia, for example, and and designed and delivered an installation project. And yep. then what happens is, you know, there's lots of photos taken and the installation project disappears and it was nice and there's nothing yep. that ever happens after that because, <laughs> you know, we're interested in doing big topics and delivering beautiful outcomes full stop a lot of the time. And I think the idea of, what I, you know, and uh, what we've tried to do after that is go, well, it doesn't just stop. Now what we have to do is take that, learn from it, try it again, try it again, put it in a different scenario, make it something that's kind of goes from maybe a smaller audience into a bigger audience, collect data that's more relevant to maybe a different topic, and it kind of keeps, you know, building a building. So in the end it's like, um, you know, it's not just an architect doing something that looks good. It's an architect who's actually interested in in creating change, you know, bigger, bigger change. It's ongoing. And that might take, you know, however long it takes. It takes a long time. And yeah. still what, you've, what you, you know, one thing, of course, is you still have to, as an architect, deliver something that is architectural. You've still got to deliver something that looks good because you're an architect and people respond to pretty things the same as they respond to, you know, things that have, deeper meaning and all that stuff. So that's that's the kind of balance is you can't do research without the projects. There's no point doing projects without the research in this in this world. You have to kind of be building them together. So, uh, you know, we're doing real projects. We, we still do a lot of competition projects, which is at least kind of going, well, how do we take the, the research stuff that we've been doing? We don't have a project that's specific to that at the moment. Let's just do a four-week competition to at least spit out some findings for our own you know for our own interest to put that into a kind of manifested form and then move on keep you know keep going keep going but at least we've got a bit of a a bit of a um uh you know data point of what might that look like what how does that work yeah if 
you have an obvious interest in in research as uh, as a, an area of learning more about this field that you're passionate about and interested in. Um, if if a more sort of if a, if a typical architect was interested in this idea of I'm going to specialize and try to develop a stricter criteria about the types of projects that I concentrate on and focus on and say yes to. Um, I get the sense that research is a valuable tool in terms of speeding up the learning process and developing expertise and testing a hypothesis. And it's, it's almost like research and development, it feels, in a, in a, in a business sense, right? It, it's going, I'm going to do an extremely intensive form of learning about a subject so I can take lessons from that, then I can take it back into my work and offer it to other people and apply it, right? And 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 in a way, like kind of commercialize it too, in a sense, right? It, but I guess that is that... Would that be would be research or the research process or involving some amount of research, which is not done that often in practice, standard sort of practice? Is, do you still see that as a critical element, sort of no matter what area you're exploring, if you're interested in becoming a specialized architectural practice? Yeah, I mean, I mean, research is a big term, and I, I suppose you know, and it gets thrown around a lot. You know, I think yeah. I think everyone is saying we're a research-driven practice, and I'm always like, what does that mean, actually? You do see that a lot. <laughs> you do see that a lot. You know, and, and, and of course, because people want to um, be seen to be doing more than just you know designing. You know, they want to yep. be seen to be getting to be critically thinking. And um, you know, what I've learned definitely through the PhD is I thought I knew what research was until mm. I started PhD, and then you realise that it's just this constant narrowing and narrowing and narrowing. narrowing. And, the, and the topics that I'm working with are still massive. You know, they're still it's still huge. So I think how do you apply that in general? Well, I suppose, you know, people people are very interested in details, you know, and I'm kind of using an architecture, you know, that people yep. are kind of interested in in building really well and, and kind of thinking about their projects as craft. And I suppose that could be conceived as research, you know, because you're kind of getting better at something or you're learning more or a better way of doing something. Um you know, my interest is in kind of, um, I suppose my interest really is being more educated in how I communicate with the people that I work with. And that requires me to kind of learn a new vocabulary and a kind of broader interest in, um, in, yes, psychology as said, and kind of philosophy, you know, and a kind of different way of uh, seeing how people understand, you know, yeah, how people understand, I mean, I feel like I say that a lot, but how people kind of understand their yeah. environment, um, yeah. not from my perspective, but from kind of their perspective. And to me, that is the kind of research, you know, it's kind of research into, into people. And, yeah. you know, one thing that keeps coming up in the PhD is like, just remember you're doing an architecture PhD. You're not doing a kind of psychology PhD. And I'm like, mm. yeah, but I'm really interested in it. <laughs> but but you still have to you know deliver an outcome. Yes. Um, so I think and, research is you know awesome. Research is a great term, uh, but I think we need to challenge people who who kind of use it and and ask them what that means to them and what you know what do they do in research? Because I think the idea of architectural research is quite different in in my opinion. You know, it can be like a little surfacey yes um, 
and and that's where I'm kind of uh, I would sort of say, yeah, it's great. If you, if you're a research driven practice, what does that mean to you? In in, in what in sort of simple terms, what are what are some I guess some simple examples of sort of more rigorous research that could possibly or or sort of the deliverables or the the the, the output or the or what could be uh, done as far as research that would be a bit more substantial uh, um, that could that could realistically happen in, in a practice in your in your view. Ah, oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, I think about. Um... Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. I don't want to single out any practices, but but I but I think you know. I mean, I'm kind of interested in people who and practices who are kind of um, you know they have a they have an agenda beyond beyond. So when when they talk about, I'm always interested to go to architecture talks, yeah, where they talk for an hour and they show like five slides. To me, they're the kind of practices where I'm like the talking is less about the outcome and the talking is about the process. Mm-hmm. And I'm always kind of, you know, when I, when I used to, obviously we can't now, but, you know, go to the, the architecture awards presentations, I'm always interested in the people who talk about process and show less images because that then shows to me that their interest and the, the research side is kind of driven by um, something else, whether that be, you know, someone who talks more about landscape. So 80% of what they talk about is landscape and the house, for example, is a kind of byproduct of how they've understood that. And so you go, yeah, beautiful house, but actually the kind of process to getting in there, to getting there is kind of what should be judged, what, where the value is, I think. Um, and so that's that's how I kind of, I guess, judge it a little bit is, are they just talking about the outcome or are they talking about the process? The process. That's interesting. Yeah. And so that's how I kind of value or, or judge maybe what, um, you know, the research side of the practice is a yeah. little bit. And is that the sort of thing that when when that potential um, – I guess funder or philanthropist, whatever you want to call them, when they were sort of setting a more technical bar for you, saying we want we want there to be more of a sort of technical process here in terms of how you go about research, um, and that for you did that kind of translate that translated into obviously the exhibitions stuff like that, the installation, but um, writing also plays a really important role, and I think that's shown most clearly throughout your website as well. This this sense that your website is almost a collection of essays more so than just kind of a portfolio I, I use the word essays but, but that it, it kind of gives that impression of this is a this is a lot of reading material there's a lot of um and there's a lot being shown here and i could spend quite a bit of time on your website going down some rabbit holes <laughs> and sort of exploring some different things um i guess that must have been a interesting transition to invest time into the creation of that kind of content and explore some of your projects through that lens because it's not really typical to produce that kind of written um, content, to use a, that's mm. the best word I have for it really, as part of the process or at the outcome of a, of a, of a project, right? Yeah, the, that, I mean, that kind of goes full circle back to, the, back to that uh, strategy process is mm. the website was always supposed to be text heavy and actually it could be a lot more text yeah, I mean, I have that's like a tiny amount of stuff that I could put up there, but yeah. it's always meant to be more of a kind of um, yeah, 
data and text and, you know, it's important, the books, you know, I mean, all those books that I put up there, I put up there after I finished reading them, if they're kind of relevant to a change in my thinking or a kind of like, um, uh, you know, relevant to an interesting project, then mm. I'll, I'll put it up there because I want people to kind of know that um, reading those things and is part of the process. And, and they're not architecture related a lot of the time. They're kind of like mm. we're doing a project and have been for a while on chronic fatigue and some of the books that I've read are just people who are explaining what it's like to lie in bed for 23 hours a day. And when you read them as an architect, you're like, ah, oh, all of a sudden the thought process about what's important changes. And so that's an important kind of shift in the way that I would think about those sorts of projects. Um, and, and it's always been the website particularly has always been, it's supposed to be less about the images. I know there are images up there because people want to be able to put uh, text and words and, and show an outcome of what those words kind of look like or what they manifest into. But actually it was always supposed to be about movies, not, not stills. So that is something that is always in the development and is harder to do at the moment. And not yeah. movies of the projects. That's the other interesting thing is oh, interesting. films have become very important as a way of showing the architecture, but ours have always um, and are, and there's, they're happening and, and have happened, are much more about the, the people who the projects are designed for and how to get across their very specific needs in the world and how those projects relate to them. So you can't really do that in images. Images have been easy to do, of course, in the last couple of years, really. Mm. Um, less time-consuming. But but that is the change that, that kind of, you know, to show that all of that research and stuff plays out in the process as opposed to, you know, what it looks like. So, so there's yep. never necessarily any images of the, the full thing. Yes. Um, you know, that's yeah, kind so- of... So, so the, the format of the writing and the structure that you've created is almost, it's like essential in terms of communicating what's going on to other people, sort of unlocking that knowledge of what happened or that process or that client in a format that other people can consume, right? You don't really have, you've got film and then you've got that longer form writing and, and maybe giving talks as well. And maybe that's your, those are your avenues, right? And, and other, actually, the, you know, one of the most important things is the voices of the other, of, of the people. So the lived yep. experience is something that I'm particularly doing a lot more of now. So, you know, the turning point, and if I was to kind of put a turning point for the practice, we did a project for um, a guy who has a chronic sleep disorder based on uh, sexual abuse when he was a boy, and this, mm. this is known, and we... The project won a, a, the houses thing years ago. And anyway, someone came up to me afterwards um, and he was a great, I can't remember his name, but um, he was with ABC Radio National and he said, really interesting project. Do you think your client would be interested in talking on radio about it? Mm. And I said, oh, look, it's super sensitive. I'll have to ask him. Uh, and, and he said yes. And he said things that I didn't have any idea he was going to say no idea that he was going to go to the extent of talking about what had happened to him as a boy. Mm. Uh, and when he did that, he said, uh, I've never, there's, there's people who are close to me who don't know this actually. I've never said this out loud to anyone. Mm. And he said, it's changed my life. It's completely changed. And that's not, 
it wasn't necessarily me, it wasn't necessarily the project, but what it was is the process of having someone who kind of is interested, asking questions, the project then dealt with, you know, the way he lives his life and set up a kind of platform for him to feel comfortable to, uh, you know, and, and he's like, I would never have done it. And, and for me, that's like, shit, it's actually, it's more about you than it is about me or the project. And so I think that's kind of an important thing for me is now like unless the voice and the of the people who are using them can be at the front, mm. um, then it falls apart. So, so the intention moving forward is that is the front, then it's the books and the writing, and then there's the images of the projects which are kind of very much yep. at the at the, at the bottom yes, um, yes. and that's that's what will happen you know and that's yeah. why but but also man you can't and again this comes up in phd you can't just get that relationship with these people it, it's taking because we've done that project someone else came to us and said you know we listened to the radio national interview yeah and uh you know the relationship you built up with them you know and so here's my story I want you to, you know, I want that relationship. And then, you know, so it's, it's taking a long, long time for people to trust that. Uh, You're committed. Yeah, and... committed. And that I'm not going to say stupid things because, and if I do say stupid things, I'm aware that I've done it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's been lots of these instances where I'm like, shit, I still do it. I still like I catch myself using terms that, um, you know, aren't right. That's very interesting. Um Architects struggle with sometimes this idea that we're marketing to our peers and not our target yes, audience or yes. our clients, right? It's a common issue. Um, but the people who market to their peers the best are usually the architects that we all like the most <laughs> you know, yes. in general. But um, I also imagine that it still remains as a challenge for your practice in that there's several tribes or communities that you're a part of to, to varying degrees and there's architects, there's other researchers or people that are interested professionally in the field. Then there is the individual communities, neurodivergent communities and, and people with different dementia, autism, et cetera. And you have um, kind of a presence in each of them and they're not necessarily overlapping. They're not necessarily groups that speak to each other and the way that you can kind of speak to them as a practice also should probably differ from group to group. And how do you go about finding this way that you don't, that you can start to become in touch with your potential clients as well? Um, and you mentioned a, sort of a minute ago that there's kind of different formats that your output takes, whether it's imagery or video or writing or interviews and so forth. Um, are each of are some of these kind of more, more tailored for one audience than the other, or how do you sort of see your practice from the client's perspective in terms of maybe it's the client that's looking to build their home or, or, or it's the kind of the um, maybe the larger sort of public or institutional client who's interested in having you work on a new public space. Um, I guess from their point of view, <laughs> how, how do they sort of get, how do they get an understanding of what you're doing? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's kind of, um, you're totally right in that, uh, most architects market to their peers that that is like exactly right because you know we're all we all want our peers to pat us on the back and say you know great job and and that's because well for me anyway you know there's a there's a value um, 
of where you get your validation from, you know, as a, as, and I think a lot of architects get their validation from architecture, fair, fair enough, because it's so all, uh, all consuming. And yeah. I think for me, you know, a lot of the, like I said, the, the project that we got from, um, based on that, that Radio National felt like, um, you know, I couldn't have, I don't think I could have got that project. It was only because of the relationship that I had um, with the past client that I think I would have, yeah, of course you have to see the work, you know, they have to be like, well, there's no point in Ant being talking about research and all this stuff if his projects are shit. So, you know, so they, they can't be bad, you know, they can be yeah. ugly outcomes. But but for me, yeah, I think for me what happens is I do a project in um, within the chronic fatigue MECFS community and then they, someone says, can we write about it? And I say, yes. And then other people write to me and say, uh, you know, can you think about doing a project for us? And I would, you know, say, you know, yes, or yes, I'd be interested. Um, you know, the other, the other interesting thing is um, I've met, I've met someone in, in this community who said, oh, we've just had a project finished by such and such an architect who, who I know and everyone would know. Mm. And they're like, but we didn't tell them that, um, they're doing it for someone who has this condition. Mm. And I'm like, you know, why? And they said, oh, because we thought maybe they wouldn't, uh, you know, we kind of like their style. And so that's an interesting thing because, you know, there's still a, um, people still want beautiful architecture. They're worried that if they put this condition to, to them, that they'll end up with something clinical and something mm. they don't want, you know? So, so there is a, like, the importance of the imagery shows that although, the process is very different and the use of materials is done for a different way, they still have an outcome that they're not going to feel ashamed to show their friends or mm. that it's not going to be received well in the public arena. You know, that's not, it's yeah. not kind of like that. It's the, it's the process that's different, not necessarily the outcome. Or it's like we would use this material because it's kind of, it has these innate research properties but it's not like other people aren't using it as well. You know, yeah. it's not like it's it's not going to be, it's not going to look good. That's so interesting. So, I mean, architects have this fear about about exploring some of these more niche um, conditions or as one exam, you're in your particular case, but let's say it's a completely non-medical specialization, just 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 any, anything really. They're always worried that that will end up producing ugly architecture because if the focus isn't on the aesthetics and the beauty and the stylishness of the work, then obviously you're distracted from that. So you're going to produce like a less attractive end result, which starts to interfere with all those worries about acceptance and pats on the back and all that sort of stuff. Um, and but it's fascinating to think that that's also something the clients are worried about. <laughs> uh, of course. I mean, of, of and course. they're going, if I reveal that I have this condition, that's going to distract from the, 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 just the sheer sort of sexiness of this house that I'm going for. And it's going to end up ugly and I'm going to be ashamed of it yeah. or embarrassed by it. Yeah. And wow. So it's on both sides. We both have that. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I mean, of course people are, um, you know, they, they want, they don't, only using a residential as, a, as an example. Yeah. I mean, it's very few um, and we're, ha we've ha we're having this conversation where, uh, yeah, and me, this is my kind of curiosity and learning about these things is we've, we've done a project that is 
very, very specific to someone, like very tailored where it would be awkward for someone, not them to be in it. And of course they're like, you know, the question then comes up, but what happens if I get better and uh, Mm. we want to sell it? Mm. Then you're like, uh, that's different. Of course, that's, um, that's very interesting. You know, it's like you do something specific or you do something that's generic that has specific bits in it. Um, you know, those, all of those conversations need to, need to kind of happen. And some clients, uh, you know, we, we've done projects that are difficult to be in because they mm-hmm. are so specific, but that's what that person knows about themselves and that's what they really want. And then there's others who the, the relationship is a lot more complicated. Um, yeah. That's the kind of amazing thing about doing complicated work is you've always got something to draw on. And I think that's what, when I'm running these studios and I run, you know, master studios based on this work is instead of looking at kind of architecture references, if you're looking at these references, which are kind of about uh, data or psychology or neuroscience is there's kind of endless amounts of things to draw from. Yeah. You know, there's, there's kind of a much bigger field of reading it from someone's perspective, finding some lived experience things to, to read or listen to. And, um, and then applying your skill as an architect to these things is kind of, uh, it then, it then generates a potentially completely new typology because it's not coming from architecture. It's actually coming from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. If the work is being influenced, if you're tapping into influences, um, or inspirations that other architects aren't, uh, don't have access to, um, surely that's going to make your work more original and unique and, not and differentiated in a sense, like from a sheer sort of making interesting work that it that stands out from a lot of noise or, and sort of ref, buildings referencing each other, architects referencing each other that tends to go on. And then you're sort of stepping in with sort of you can almost be like a sort of a fresh gust of air into the into the industry in a sense, right? If you're looking outside of it and bringing in certain certain aspects of things that you find interesting or valuable. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's all right. I mean, it's still it goes back to that. Um, you know, we're still architects, still want to be part of the yeah. architecture world. We don't want to kind of be ostracised. And one of the, you know, and I, I use this as an example. Like Oliver Sacks is an interesting example because uh, he was kind of seen as a bit of a black sheep. You know, he kind of had a relationship with the people he worked with that was kind of different to other people in his field, and he wasn't serious enough, or he wasn't. He didn't take his job you know, uh, the relationship the same way everyone else did. And, and he, uh, you know, he kind of worried about being on the outer. And then, uh, you know, Awakenings, the movie happened, he became super famous and all of a sudden his community loved him. Mm. And he was like the pin-up person of his, you know, of his kind of profession. And I think that's kind of interesting, you know, it's kind of about, um, uh, you know, how you're perceived and and what our community is, inclusive of and um you know ensuring that we are all in favor of delivering great architecture and being a a solid community who are who are all doing um trying to do great work you know and and ensuring that we're all comfortable that we're doing meaningful work yeah and you mentioned when we spoke the other day that you have a personal preference for architects who you get a sense that they're practice aligns with their personal brand and interests and i'm exactly the same way like i feel like the guests that i have on this podcast are almost exclusively 
that, <laughs> you know, where I get a strong sense of this is what that this is what that founder or that director is passionate about, enthusiastic about, interested in, and they're really just kind of using that as a driving force behind their practice or what they're what they're doing and and clients are picking up on that the rest of the world picks up on that but for you what is it that that's interesting for you about practices that sort of appear considered and deliberate or methodical like in their kind of approach where you get this strong sense of kind of identity and it's not usually saying that comes about because some you know branding whiz has been brought on board it just sort of emerges a lot of the time like have you have you sort of noticed that sort of thing yeah i mean again i think that goes back to the it's i'm much more interested in the way they speak and and kind of like um if if i'm and this is not hasn't always been the case you know i was I was absolutely uh, an architect who was kind of, you know, I've worked for big architects and yeah. it's certainly not because I like the way they speak. It's like I like their work. and yeah. um, But but as I've kind of evolved and changed my own thinking, it's definitely like, yeah, I really enjoy architects who don't talk so much about architecture they, or they talk about the process of architecture. And for me, when I hear somebody who is, able to do that is able to talk for a really long time about architecture without describing you know without yeah. describing the project but saying here are the values or here are the kind of important things and here are the like uh issues that we were trying to deal with that are broader than the outcome then i'm like uh, yeah i'm sure the project is great and, and then it takes away what it looks like whether it looks great or not is kind of lesser and some of the architects that I've spoken to, uh, you know, older generation architects, a lot are kind of like that. It's almost like they were, you know, they're pre-Instagram and pre, um, you know, you actually had to kind of, you couldn't see a publication until it was printed. Yeah. So there's a bit of a, and I, you know, I'm not like the good old days, but but certainly <laughs> when I've when I've interviewed architects because of my PhD and spoken to older architects, the way they speak it seems like you can talk for 40 minutes before they even talk about the project. And, uh, you know, that, that is interesting to me. That's kind of like, um, yeah, you've got, you've got some stuff to say as opposed to, uh, you know, we orientated it this way and this is the kind of site mm. things. And then you walk in and you see this big thing of glazing and it's about making you feel like this, you know, so it's less about descriptive project things and more about here are some issues we're facing uh, these people or this thing, uh, and this is where, and this is where it comes from. And I've been reading blah, blah, blah. It sort of, it sort of sounds like, like trying to get into the detail of like, what is it about that sort of work that's so interesting or is it because that architect is kind of in a way at the frontier of something, you know, or like they're kind of, there's a sense that they're, innovating in or going somewhere where people haven't already been a hundred million times before, but they're going out in some new direction and they're exploring. There's a sort of, there's a sense of that to it for me when I hear you speaking about it like that. But do you, is it, is it kind of that that you feel that you might be responding to in terms of that sense of new challenges or, or, or what is it about it that I guess resonates with you and maybe other architects as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think again, the, the books that I read, now, which are like, um, uh, and the authors that I read and, and people who are saying things in different ways. So there's a book that I read 
and and it's you know it's a pretty popular book called Being Mortal by um, Atul Gawande, and it's mm. about uh, how to have difficult conversations with people who are getting older. Mm. And I've read heaps of books about you know how to, but but when it's kind of framed in a different way, then I'm like, oh, that's that's really interesting to talk about it like that, you know. And I think it's like it's not that. Uh, these, well, maybe they are kind of revolutionary, but it's more, it's more kind of like, how do you just, how do you just speak about things? And, and also the people who I read include themselves. So actually the book who's talking about aging at the same time is talking about the difficulties having with his own father or Irvin Yalom talks about the clients and the people he works with, but his own issues at the same time. So you're kind of constantly aware of the battles that you're having and I think I get a little bit tired of architects who don't talk about their own vulnerabilities and say, mm. actually, this is really hard. And the ego, you know, the kind of like everything's fine. And I remember one quick example is um, there's a famous, uh, I can't remember the practice, but I went to a talk, um, Tom Main, you know, Tom Main. Anyway, yeah. I went to a, a, a talk at Melbourne Uni years, like over a decade ago. Anyway, he talked about his practice, uh, you know, which is obviously huge. And yep. he said, I, you know, it was all, you know, shit and, you know, struggle, 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 1980, blah, blah. And then he jumped from 1980 to 1990 and said, then all of a sudden we had this $50 million project and it was, you know, yeah. and away we went. Yeah. And ego, 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 great. And then at the end, everyone left and there was like 10 people left. And someone said, what happened in that 10 years? And, <laughs> every, and everything changed his conversation because everyone had gone yeah. all the the um magazines and he was like it was horrible i was literally working part-time job everything was falling apart i nearly threw it all in and you're like you need to hear these things as a as a young architect you need to hear that people are uh it doesn't just happen it's actually really hard and you have to constantly not only talk about your own insecurities and the things that are going on and changing, but also the difficulties that you're having with, you know, I don't know we talk about, oh, you know, council's hard and whatever, whatever, but actually mm-hmm. if you talk about the troubles that you're having and how you're finding it hard to process this information from this project and deal with this at the same time and raise a family and, uh, you know, we're, we're much more human. And I think we think that if we show that side, uh, and we don't make it look easy, then we're not doing it right. Um, and I think that's why, you know, when I when I work with people who are so outwardly vulnerable, it draws that out of me. And then I realise the relationship gets stronger. And I think the projects get stronger because the process gets stronger. That that's you know that's what I think. But yeah. Um, and so of course I'm drawn to those people who are a little bit like. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, just just kind of talk about the difficulties as opposed to saying, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Yeah. And maybe this this time now that we're going through is will have an effect on that because, uh, you know, people say I'm fine, but you're like, mm, yeah. nah, I, I doubt it. And yeah. that, that stepping out in sort of in front of your practice as Anthony, um, and being that kind of honest individual and talking about those things, um, not every architect is kind of prepared to do that, have a person, uh, a, a sort of a, a publicly visible person 
sort of representing their practice. But in the area that you're in and, and your specialty, it's it seems like it's a pretty essential ingredient, right? Well, like, it has to. So, so one of the, the 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 chapter that I've just written PhD is about methodology, and part yeah. of the methodology was about that insider outsider, but also part of it is I had to write about my own childhood, and then then I then I sent that to my clients, and I'm like, um, you know, some of my friends don't even know this stuff, but it's actually important for me to to say how can I ask you to share these things if I'm not going to. And, um, you know, that is awkward and sometimes a little bit um, complicated, but at the same time that's kind of, that's what's interesting to me because I don't think uh, the, 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 the one project in particular, which is about that Radio National thing, you know, I think the more you do that, the deeper the questions get. And if you're prepared to answer their questions, um, then they're prepared to answer yours. And if it's if it's not like that, then to me it's kind of it stays a bit more surface focused, which which I don't think I can do in in the sort of work I'm doing. I just I can't see how I can do that. Yeah. Um, when you were sort of operating as a more traditional practice, um, you kind of spoke about that pathway of scaling and getting bigger and you know five people, ten people, whatever, like doing that sort of practice trajectory. Um, do you, have you sort of rethought that in terms of maybe the, what that pathway looks like in terms of the long-term trajectory of your practice with the area that you're focused on? I mean, how, how, I guess, what are your thoughts on, I guess, like how you might go about scaling your practice or what the future of it looks like as a, as a business, um, tough question, right? (laughs) Yeah, tough question. I mean, I think I'm a lot more, I think. I think when you start, like when I started Bloxus in 2010, you know, it was about, it, it, it didn't seem like rocket science. It was just like get more work, yeah. employ more people, try and make more money, get more yeah. recognition. And yeah. so it didn't really matter how that happened. It just would kind of happen. And um, I think now, of course, I'm a lot more aware of like um, taking projects that interest me and that I find really exciting and uh you get people on board when you you know that have that same excitement when you need them you know so a lot of the people that i talk to now are architects you know i I work with a lot of um psychologists and psychiatrists and stuff to kind of understand and we commission them to do work or do writings that will help with the projects uh you know the other thing is a lot of these projects take longer because Mm. Um, different things happen in their lives that require the project to go on hold for, for you know, whether it's health reasons or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, ideally it's, 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 a, it's a growth, but a growth based on um, project type in relation to the, the passion. You know, I'm not going to take projects because it allows me to build and get more staff. You know, it is about, is this project actually in line with what we're doing? Uh, If it is, we'll take it. If that requires more people, then we'd do it. Um, Or, you know, do you team up with other practices because that makes more sense, Uh, you know, which we're we're doing, you know, we're doing a project with Kirsten, who I think you spoke to recently, you know, so that's um, been absolutely amazing, you know, been, been hugely rewarding. So, 
Yeah. So I think those sorts of, you know, things are a little bit more fluid and not so this is what we do. You know, we just kind of get exponentially bigger. Yeah. Uh, but, some, but in saying that, other practices do it. You know, I, I've, I'm, I'm absolutely not saying that my way is right. There's plenty of practices that are more successful. No, but, but I think if you took the standard playbook and tried to apply it to your to your niche and to your clients and types of projects, it would just not work. It, wouldn't it work. would be completely yeah. dysfunctional. Yeah. So totally. that's one of the things that has to be considered when anybody's thinking about starting to focus on a niche. Your methodology will probably have to change. Your marketing will have to change. Your content will have to change. Your your vision of where your business is going and the different turns you'll take to get there will also probably change. Like you, totally. you have to kind of like kind of go back to the drawing board on a lot of different things and sort of go like when I just look at it through this lens of these types of clients now or this segment, how do I have to do all these other things differently to be to, for it to be sustainable and work properly? Which is really right. hard because that, yeah. that essentially uh, goes against the kind of traditional, you know, build a practice. Like it, it is still... You know that, that from from people starting practices. I mean, there are there are. I think people are a bit more strategic these days about thinking about these things before starting, and um, you know, being aware that you've got to have a good presence and you've got to kind of. I think people are getting more attuned to the fact of how do you stand out and yep. what does that look like? Is that based on on social media platforms? Is that based on who you talk or how you talk or what sort of projects you do? You know, I think. I think people are, are doing it, you know. I, I mean, there's plenty of practices out there who are sustainable and have constant work coming in and are probably doing well. I don't know, you know, whether they're really happy or not. I don't know. But, yeah, um, uh, yeah I, think if, I think if you are like, I'm, this is what I'm going to, this is my interest, this is my passion, I'm going to go for it, then you do have to, like you said, you kind of got to redo everything and, mm. and try not to... Um, get sucked back into the norms a little bit, you know, of like, yeah, but if I do this, then, you know, uh, I'm kind of closing that off a little bit. Or if I do that, then these people aren't going to kind of like what I do. You know, I think I think if you're kind of, you, if you really want to go for it, then you're kind of, you know, uh, half sure and wholehearted. Yeah. Totally. I've seen, I have seen some practices that have sort of gone out quite boldly with a positioning and it's a nice clear cut statement of who they're, what they're doing and for who, and it yeah. works really nicely, Yeah. but then they start to dilute it and then they yeah. start to add it's for these people and these people and yeah. these people. Yeah. And then we don't just do this. We do this and this and yeah. this, and then yeah. all of a sudden yeah. they're back to kind of where they started. Yeah. 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 And there's, you know, the, the technical term is a straddle strategy where you try and do two things at once. Um, and we're going to try and serve this group and that group and hopefully blend the two things together and have it make sense. But, but so that's, often that's, that's like, uh, that's, that's a really hard one because what happens is then, uh, you know, you get back into the, and, and another kind of strong, you know, the, the feed the beast thing, which is like, you know, then you don't want to put people off because you've taken a few projects that you didn't really want, but but you want to keep the staff. You know, it's a yeah. slippery, it's a slippery slope, and I and I can be like, um, can't be judgmental about it because it happens quickly and easily. Yeah, yeah, and it's very hard. And I think that could be where you have to go back to a project that's kind of heavily, sorry, a practice that's heavily focused on the person. 
And if you're clear about what those kind of values are, then it's probably easier to stick with them. But it, yeah. but that's also saying that, uh, you know, I don't have a business partner. So the other difference is, you know, you've got practices who go in with two or three. Yeah. Uh, then it's not one person's value system. It's like multiple people's value systems yeah. and they will inevitably kind of shift and do their own thing over a period of time. Uh, and that might be where things start getting, you know, watered down. Um, and, and sometimes it's the breakup of a partnership that can lead to the best and most, you know, focused and niche down firms because the director goes, well, now that I've sort of, um, you know, gotten rid of old mate, I can finally <laughs> concentrate on what I've always wanted to do, which is this. And sometimes totally. that can be the most enthusiastic person I've worked with, you know, in terms of a client that's, you know, started to start to actually maybe maybe they're, practice has like shrunk a little bit they're less they're now less worried about as you said sort of feeding the base they're not under that pressure to sort of take on anything and they can be a bit more cautious about growing and a bit more selective about what they do and i think whenever i meet architects in that spot i think that's like the ideal position you want to be in mm. you know on on paper okay or maybe you know out in the in the architecture industry it's not as celebrated or looked up to um being a little bit slower in that growth pace or whatever but but that person is the happier more content architect nine out of ten times yeah um, so the clarity about this is what i'm doing this is what i get up in the morning for there's a sense of clear purpose and yeah. not this kind of sort of i don't know where this practice is like i'm riding it it's going in some direction it's like a horse that's just taking off somewhere and i'm just trying to hold on yeah which is i definitely meet plenty of architects like that too yeah, um, and it's and inevitably it rarely ends well. You know, it, yeah. it has to end in like a um, because I mean, and it's the cliche of you know, then um, you've just created a job for yourself. You're just an employee of your own business or an yeah. employee kind of. Yeah. Uh, and I've always kind of um, you know, business structures are kind of are kind of interesting. You know, it's like people having very defined structures and very kind of clear protocols. And that's quite different to the this image of the kind of creative practice where everything kind of just happens, you know, when things are actually regimented and, I mean, that's kind of scary as a practice because you're like, well, you only get this amount of time to spend on design, otherwise you lose money, this, 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 this and this. And, yeah. uh, you know, very few practices actually want to want that to happen because they want the creative part to take as long as it takes. Yeah. Um, and then everything's like, you know, cost, cost turmoil. Interested in just, as we always do, kind of ending on a little bit of just marketing on <laughs> the marketing podcast. Um, I'm interested in sort of how word of mouth kind of works in these, in these communities that you're getting projects from or are building a presence in or standing out in. Um, you mentioned on a call the other day this idea of how they speak to each other or, or, or word kind of travels quick, quickly in, in these niches. I'm interested maybe in some like uh, some exa not examples of, of, of projects or situations where how have the interesting ways that people might have found out about you, your studio um, and not just the typical channels. I'm just interested in the kind of non-typical channels where work comes from for you now that you're part of these niches. Yeah, well, I think that's, uh, you know, the Radio National one was kind of interesting because obviously the radio, it's not visual, you know, so it was mm -hmm. literally just hearing people's voices. And I think what was amazing about that is 
there was the vulnerability in the way that the client spoke, which kind of people related to, you know. So, so you would say that that is the kind of lived experience verbal. And then, um, you know, when I've put things on the, the website uh, that, you know, there, there's a particular project where the client wrote to me and I was really, really amazingly um, confronted and amazed that they'd sent that and I asked them whether I could put that on the website and they said yes because they're very interested in uh, the process that they're going through helping others in their in their position. So, you know, I think when people read that, so it's like, you know, a verbal thing and then a text thing and then, uh, yeah, th- these these groups have, have communities and then when I go to some community event that happens based on these communities, everyone knows who I am. And mm. I'm like, I've never even met these people. They're like, yeah, but your name's everywhere on our, on our Facebook community groups. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, right, you know, I had, I had no idea. But um, that feels great, you know, because yeah. there's, there's the kind of interest that, um, and I think for me it's the curiosity. But one thing that really happened is I went to a, a film um, for this chronic this MECFS project and there's a, and there's a documentary called unrest and I went to a screening and at the end of it, as a completely naive architect, I, I asked a question and they were filming it and the question went on some website. And then all, all of a sudden all these people started writing to me going, uh, Oh, your question. I'd never thought that an architect would even be interested in asking these questions, uh, you know, about, about how, how people with this condition, understand space we've never been asked that question before and you know that was kind of interesting because all of a sudden i was at uh, an event that had absolutely nothing to do with architecture just being an architect asking an architect a question and then all these people kind of started writing to me asking about uh you know architecture though i never would have thought because it's not i'm not in an architecture magazine it's not talking at an architecture event i wasn't there to get clients in any way yeah um it's just because I wanted to be there and, and learn about this stuff. And I asked a question that was actually pretty dumb and pretty naive, but, but also the naivety of the question is kind of what triggered the reaction is that, um, you know, I go in as, uh, the kind of naive dumb one just going, Hey, I know nothing about this world actually, but I have an interesting question that I'd like to know. And, you know, that then sparks things. Wow. It's crazy to think that there is like, there are huge segments of the community that are just desperately crying out for an architect to come along and help them. Or talk to them or listen to them. You know? Listen, they're, des- they're, yes. desperate for, they're desperate for architects to be curious in things beyond architecture. And they're like, yes. they, want, they want architects to say, how can you use your skill mm. and apply it to our problem? beyond, yeah. um, uh, you know, the the idea of thinking about accessibility. You know, p- people have heard accessibility yeah. to death and what they want to know is like how would you deal with the issue that our cities are too loud and I can't go to the football because, yeah. uh, you know, of this issue. And so they're interesting where it's like it's not about how do I get in there, it's about I really want to go but it's too noisy. Uh yeah. And they want you to ask those questions, you know, would you wear headphones or how do you kind of, then they're like, oh, no one's ever asked me that. They just ask me like, what sort of handrails do I want? And you're like, oh man, it's like, yeah. 
not. Yeah. It's interesting. So I think that's such a good kind of thing to kind of leave it on. I like this idea that there's just going outside of architecture. Is that really, I guess that's part of the starting point, right? Like as an architect, if you're feeling like kind of burnt out on your, the way that you've been doing it, right? But so then the process kind of becomes maybe like, what are some of those things that you're interested in? Like start to think about that. And also what, what are, how can you go outside of architecture and, and find some people that have unique or, or unique or special problems and then go how can i listen to them how can i use my architectural skills to help them or, or be a yeah, service to and them? that's not and that's not unusual you know i mean i mean i don't know whether it's it's strategy people are like well you know i mean i can remember hearing oh you've got to sign up to boating clubs and golf things <laughs> because that's where you meet clients you know yeah, yeah and i'm like no that's where you meet what we perceive as kind of wealthy people who will let you do what you want that's quite yeah. different that's kind yeah. of um that's targeted clients as opposed to finding something that you're actually really into and you just happen to kind of meet like-minded people. But yeah. that's a different, that's a strategy to, to get clients, not a strategy to kind of create your uh, unique voice, which then kind of links with them on a deeper, on a deeper level. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think sustainability in terms of practice is, uh, you know, is, is that more than like, chasing chasing people to allow you to do what you want which which is quite different i think yeah that's interesting because i guess there's that sense of what will make me happy it's if people there's this kind of grass is greener right if people let me do what i want or i have complete creative freedom that must be what i'm missing right as as a it's great. That, that's when that's when I'll be happy, but maybe yeah. that isn't when they'll be happy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, but you never really know. I mean, the, the interesting thing is how many really successful outside practices have you spoken to uh, who would actually say being a really successful practice has not made me happy? Like probably none because uh, everybody, if you had a huge practice that did huge work, of course you're successful, right? Isn't that kind of, and it's, of course you're happy because mm. you have everything an architect wants, which is wealthy clients, great opportunities. But uh, I wonder, you know, mm. really. Yeah. Mm. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been great. And, and where can... um. Where can people come and learn more about what you're doing? Is your website the best place? Yeah, I think I think the website's always being, uh, you know, updated. Particularly, I always update the books and things that I'm reading. The projects are always a work in progress because they're sensitive and yeah. um, sometimes I think I can put them up and then I realise I, I can't or they're not quite ready to. So there's, there's lots of projects that uh, can go up but haven't yet. Um but yeah, I'm doing. There's a lot more writing and things going on, and I think once, um, you know, yeah. I mean, the other thing that the PhD is, it's, it's about ethics. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I want to put up there, but um, you know, not quite sure if I can yet. <laughs> okay. So you know, the website is good because at least that shows the yeah. stuff that I'm kind of reading and interested in. And if people are interested yeah. in reading that sort of stuff, then that's great. Otherwise, they can call me or email. Oh, yeah. Perfect, Anthony. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks, mate. Well, that was my conversation with Anthony Clark from Bloxus. If you'd like to learn more about Bloxus, you can visit bloxus.com or follow the practice on Instagram at Bloxus. 
If this is your first time listening to this podcast, please make sure to subscribe to hear a new episode every second week. It also helps other architects to find the show and benefit from these conversations. So, I really appreciate it when you subscribe in your podcast app. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about me, Dave Sharp, you can visit vanityprojects.com to check out my blog, join over 5,000 other architects on my email list, or learn more about my marketing coaching services for architects and book a 15-minute call to discuss your practices situation. That's all for this episode and I'll see you next time.